Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you establish your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders. O Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours, and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endued with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness. For you are their glory and strength. And by your favour you exalt our, our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Once you spoke in a vision, to your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have exalted a young man from among the people. I have found David, my servant. With my sacred oil, I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. No enemy will subject him to tribute. No wicked man will oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him, and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. I will call out, sorry, he will call out to me. You are my father, my God, the rock, my saviour. I will also appoint him my, my, my firstborn the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, 
their iniquity with flogging. But I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. But you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruin. All who pass by have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbours. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have turned back the edge of his sword and have not supported him in battle. You have put an end to the splendour and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth and have covered him with a mantle of shame. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created all men. What man can live and not see death or save himself from the power of the grave? O Lord, where is your former great love, which is your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunt of all nations, the taunts with which your enemies have mocked. O Lord, with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Emma. That was a rather a, a long reading, and uh, very well done. Thank you. Well, good morning to you all. It's good to be with you here this morning. Please have your Bibles open at uh, Psalm 89. Um, I'm not going to go through it line by line, uh, but uh, I think uh, you, you will find this um, encouraging, I think, in these, uh, in these days. Because we live in perplexing times. We have a new monarch. We have a new government. There's been the ongoing war in Ukraine that, that worries us and has had effects upon us. The rising cost of living, rising energy prices, the crisis in the health service, and I could go on. And the composer of Psalm 89 also lived in perplexing times. You'll notice that he's named as Ethan the Ezraite at the uh, beginning of the psalm. We don't know very much about him, but he is mentioned actually in 1 Kings 4 verse 31. Interestingly enough, and he's mentioned there as a wise man. His wisdom is compared with that of Solomon. He doesn't come up to Solomon's wisdom, but he's still mentioned as a wise man. This is a wise man making, uh, composing this psalm. But notice that he appears to be accusing God of breaking his covenant. Look at verse 39. You have renounced the covenant with your service and have defiled his crown in the dust. 
it'd be useful, I think, to get perhaps a little bit of historical context uh, for this psalm. Because the complaint in verses 38 to 45, which we'll come to, commentators suggest that Psalm 89 was composed in the 6th century BC, at some point after the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonian armies under King Nebuchadnezzar. That happened in 597 BC, when the last king of Judah, Jehoiakim, was carried off into exile and David's throne fell vacant. So it did indeed look at that time as if God's promises to David that there would be a king on his throne forever had been broken. And that's what the psalmist is complaining about. You have, um, as I say, uh, verse 39 again, you have renounced the covenant with your service. You have defiled his crown in the dust. David's throne is vacant and there is no one occupying it. And so God appears to have broken his covenant. But his complaint only comes in verse 38. (coughs) Verses 1 to 37 are quite different. He is engaged in a wonderful reflection on the character of God. Sure, he cannot understand what's happened. He was expecting Israel, or at least Judah, to continue with someone occupying the royal throne forever. That's what he thought God had promised. And yet in his lifetime, the throne has become vacant. There's no successor to David as king of Judah anymore. What has God done? Where has God been while all this has been going on? It's perplexing. It's puzzling. He can't work it out. So what do you do? When something inexplicable and unexpected happens in your life or in the world around you. When you wonder what God is doing to you or to those that you love and care about. Do you do what this psalmist does and first of all remind yourself of the character of God? Because when you remind yourself of the character of God, it begins to put your perplexity into context. Start with who God is. Who God, what God is like, and what he has promised his people. Look at how the psalm starts. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever, and my mouth will make known your faithfulness through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. He reminds himself of God's essential character, his character of love and faithfulness. And this becomes a theme that he develops in the following verses. That's his first theme. God is a God of love and a God of faithfulness. Look at his second theme in verses 3 to 4. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Something else he knows about God. God promised to David that his royal line would be established forever. So God made a promise. God made a covenant. God keeps his promises, doesn't he? 
In fact, if, you, uh, if you've got an NIV, you'll see there's a little note C there, and it says that this, this um, ends with the, uh, with the observation Silar. Now, I think uh, people are not quite sure what Silar means, but very often it appears to mean stop here, pause, and think about what you've just read or what you've just heard. God is a God of love and faithfulness. God made a covenant promise to David, and God keeps his promises. Something worth spending time pondering over. God's love and faithfulness are beyond dispute. They represent the very nature and character of God. God's promise in the form of a covenant is binding and irrevocable. He doesn't take it back. So in perplexity, start with what is sure and certain about God. God is love. God is faithful. God keeps his covenant promises. And having presented his themes then in those first four verses, the psalmist then goes on to expand on them. In verses 5 to 18, he expands on the theme of God's character of love and faithfulness. And in verses 19 to 37, he expands on the covenant promises to his servant David. Let's just have a look briefly at what these verses say about God and how the psalmist elaborates on his themes. In verses 5 to uh, uh, five to eight, the psalmist reflects on the complete otherness of God, his uniqueness, his incomparability, his transcendence. He thinks about God's status in heaven and the attitude of the spiritual beings that inhabit heaven. They praise God for his wonders. They praise God for his faithfulness. They're in reverence and awe before him. God is greater, more powerful, more magnificent than any other being. And the psalmist reiterates God's faithfulness. Look at verse 8. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. That is an important characteristic of God, an essential part of his character. God is faithful. And by the end of verse 8, he's already mentioned that four times. He's, he wants you to get the message. Then in verses 9 to 13, the psalmist reflects on God's creative power and his sovereignty over his creation. He rules over, over the sea, that most unruly of elements. God has power over the creatures of the sea, even the last, large ones. Rahab is his example here. The whole universe belongs to God. He created it all, heavens and earth, north and south. It's all his work. His mighty sovereign power cannot be doubted. Look at verse 13. Your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. And God's rule is founded on righteousness, justice, love and faithfulness. Look at verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. God's rule is a rule of righteousness and justice. And it's, and it's inspired by his love and his faithfulness. And then in verses 15 to 18, the psalmist reflects on the relationship between God and his people. They are those who have learned to acclaim you, verse 15. Those who walk in the light of your presence. They are the blessed people. They rejoice in God's character. Verse 16, they rejoice in your name all day long. A name in the Old Testament often represents God's character. You are their glory and strength. They acknowledge God as the one who prospers them and protects them. 
You exalt our horn, they prosper them. You protect them, he is our shield. So God is faithful, lovingly faithful. He is majestic, he is great, he is almighty, he is awesome, he is sovereign, he is the sovereign creator, and he is a love, loving and faithful, righteous and just God. And those who know him have the blessings of knowing that he is their protector and he is the one who takes care of them. That begins to put his complaint into context and into perspective. Think of who God is, of his character, of what he has done, of his almighty power, and know that this is your God. Then his second theme is expanded in verses 19 to 37. As he reminds himself and he reminds God of his choice of David to be king over his Old Testament people and of the promises he made to David. David was God's own choice, specially selected and anointed for his kingly office. That's verses 19 to 20. David was sustained by God's own hand for victory over his enemies. That's verses 21 to 23. And God had promised his faithful love, those words again, to David. Verse 24, my faithful love will be with him. And he had brought David into a special relationship with himself. Look at verse 26. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my saviour. How many of uh, David's psalms, in fact, echo uh, those words? And he promised to him an ending love and an everlasting covenant. He promised to establish David's line and his throne forever. Verse 28. I will maintain my love for him, to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne, as long as the heavens endure. And the psalmist repeats it, and underlines it once more in verses 35 to 37. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever, and his throne endure before me, like the sun. The promise to David was for an unending line of succession, confirmed by God's own holiness. And so the psalmist makes absolutely clear what his understanding is of the covenant promises that God has made to David. He tells God how he sees things. And we can tell God how we see things. And yet here he is, sometime after 597 BC. Jerusalem, David's town, is sacked. The last king of Judah has been captured and carried off into exile. David's throne is no longer occupied. And so the psalmist can only conclude that God has indeed broken his covenant. You have rejected. You have spurned. You have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. And so he goes on. And that is what he tells God in this psalm. So here is the second stage of the expression of the psalmist's perplexity. He has started by reminding himself of the essential character of God, his love and his faithfulness, his righteousness and his justice, and of the promise he made to David. Now he brings his complaint, because what he sees and what the nation of Israel is experiencing doesn't square with what he knows about God and his faithfulness in keeping his covenant promises. 
And so he pours out before God his perplexity. He even accuses God. And there's no shame in pouring out to God our perplexity. Telling him how we feel. The psalmists do it all the time. If things don't add up, tell him that they don't add up for you. Many people pour out their perplexity and uh, before God about whatever it might be, whether it's things happening in this world, whether it's things happening in your own life, the things affecting the people of God. Why are so many of our brothers and sisters being persecuted? Why is it so difficult for them to live in the Muslim world? Why is the church in decline in the West? Well, we don't know. We have no definitive answers to those things. Maybe it's something more personal that you can't understand. Maybe you've, you've uh, like us, you've, like, uh, us who you've been praying for a long time for the conversion of a, of a child, uh, an adult child, somebody who's gone away from the Lord, and yet there some doesn't seem to be any answer. Tell God. Tell God what you think. Tell God how you feel. Tell God that you think that he, even that you think he is breaking his covenant. God can take it. You can tell him, as the psalmist does. But, remind yourselves first of all, that God is a God whose unchanging character is love and faithfulness and justice and righteousness. You see, things aren't always what they seem. But we'll come to that in a moment. So after he's made his complaint in verses 38 to 45, the psalmist then um, turns, I think, to something we might call his prayer. He's speaking perhaps here as a representative of his, of his people. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember the brevity of life. Where's your love and faithfulness now? Remember how your people are being mocked and taunted, he says. And so as he pours out his complaint, he makes his appeal to God. He can't go any further than that. He can't see a resolution. He can't see an explanation at this time. And sometimes that's how it is. We are left with our perplexity. We can't see a resolution. We can only cry to God. Remember us, Lord. We trust in God's faithfulness in love. We hold on in faith. But we tell God how we see it. You see... The psalmist didn't know the end of the story. He only saw things as they were at that time, as he looked at them. And we often don't. We don't know the end of the story. Only God knows the end of the story. The psalmist could only see part of the picture. There were those, of course, in the Old Testament who had been given rather more of the picture and could glimpse what the resolution might be. Think of the prophet Isaiah. Who says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then he says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people's. The nations will rally to him. God had not forgotten his covenant promises. God had not ceased to be loving and faithful and just. God would fulfill his purposes. 
there would be a king to sit on David's throne forever. Great David's greater son, born of David's line, son of God and son of man, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. He is the king on David's throne. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And the psalmist couldn't see that. Because his, uh, his vision was blurred at that time. He didn't know. But God had it in hand. That, that the, uh, David's, David's uh, greater son would come and be the king to sit on David's throne. And he is the one that we acknowledge as our king and our Lord. The one who is there, who is there um, forever and ever. And I trust that he is your saviour and your Lord this morning. Because he came to die for you on the cross. He came to give his life that you might be saved. That you might become part of his kingdom. Acknowledge him as the king of kings. That you might live in his kingdom forever and ever. He is the king. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Or, as the uh, authorised version says, through a glass darkly. Think of what mirrors were like in those days. They didn't have uh, uh, the kind of mirrors we have today. They were just a bit of polished metal. And uh, if you actually looked at yourself in the mirror, um, you you didn't see a very clear image. Not like when you look in the mirror in the bathroom in the morning these days. Things often are not clear. They're often hazy. We can only see the outlines, perhaps. We can't see things as they truly are. But then Paul, in that passage, goes on to say, Then we shall see face to face. Then I shall know fully as I, as I am known. Sometimes things will only be revealed when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. When we can ask the questions, we see him in all his glory. We bow before him and acknowledge him as king of kings. And then we will have all the answers that we need. Now we don't. God has only revealed to us so much. There were those, after all, in Jesus' day who did not understand how Jesus, if indeed he was the Messiah could be talking about his death. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? It's John 12. Well, of course, they didn't understand. They couldn't see the full picture. It was only afterwards, as they looked back and saw Jesus' death, his resurrection and his ascension, that they realised what was happening. They weren't in a position then to see everything. And think of Job. Job didn't know about the conversation in heaven um, uh, that uh, t- took place between God and Satan. But he, and so when he went through his, uh, his trials and tribulations, he didn't know. He hadn't seen it. And yet he remained faithful to God. And so we don't always know the end from the beginning. But we trust that God does. And he is a God of love and faithfulness. He is a God who keeps his covenant promises. And that's what we, like the psalmist, need to hang on to in faith. By all means, let us pour out our complaints and our supplications to him. Tell him how we feel. 
Tell him how we can't see how things add up. We can't see the jigsaw pieces coming together. But let's do so in the assurance of who he is. Let's do so in the assurance that our God is a God of love and of faithfulness. He has a heart of love towards us. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, He will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. He is the faithful God. All praise and glory to his name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Eternal and almighty God, we come before you, we thank you that uh, you are the one who is sovereign, you are the great creator, God, that you are the one who rules over the whole universe, and we bow before you. We thank you that you are the God of love and of faithfulness. Thank you that you are the God who keeps your covenant promises. And Father, if there is any among us today who are perplexed, cannot see what you are doing, whether it's in the world, whether it's in our own lives, whether uh, it's in the lives of those that we love and care for. Gracious Father, help us to hang on to the fact, in faith, that you are a God who is faithful, that you are a God who is loving, that you are a God who is just and righteous. We bow before you and uh, grant us, we pray, the grace to know that uh, you are indeed trustworthy and that you will fulfill your purposes in, uh, in time to come, as you have indeed done in the past, sending your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for him. And we bow before him as our King, as the King of kings and Lord of lords, on the throne forever and ever. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to... Uh,